Oh, we are going to wrap up uh, our teaching on the model prayer, the prayer of Jesus uh, gave to us uh, in answer to the question, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, may have been mentioned earlier as well, but uh, uh, first Sunday in March, going to begin a new teaching series uh, kind of leading up to Easter about the, the cross and everyday life. There's a card in there for a reminder, but also an invitation card. You may want to pass that along uh, to extend uh, to others uh, along the way to invite them to be a part. Uh, we're actually going to uh, spend some time toward the end of the service praying uh, together, and we want to practice what we've been teaching. And so, in addition to your note-taking guide this morning, I want to just uh, have you go ahead and find in your worship folder that uh, praying the Lord's Prayer outline, kind of keep that handy, and we'll uh, move toward that in just a few moments. But as I, I want to just teach for a few minutes this morning on this uh, final petition of the, the Lord's Prayer. And to do that, I'll just start with a story. It's a story that's been told in various forms. Uh, it's been uh, perhaps a little more well-known uh, because a person used it in a commencement speech that got some viral play across the internet. But it's a story of fish swimming in the water. And there was an older fish swimming by two younger fish. And the older fish, as he went by, uh, kind of acknowledged the two younger fish, and he, he, said, he said, how's the water, boys? And the two young fish kind of went on for a moment, and then they turned to each other, and one fish said to the other, what the heck is water? What the heck is water? And the point of the story is very simply that very often we aren't consciously aware of where we live, of what surrounds us, of what we interact with and deal with all the time. And for you and I, part of the takeaway of that is to understand we don't live in a morally neutral environment. And whether we recognize it or not, because most of the time, this is just, I grew up. I grew up like this. I grew up in this world, and so it just seems to be normal. I don't even think about it. Oftentimes, we don't even talk about it, but we swim in water every single day. And the question is, what is that water that surrounds us, that we take for granted, and sometimes is often the hardest to see and talk about. Because we don't live in a morally neutral environment, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said one of the things you need to pray about on a consistent basis is for protection. Not just forgive us our sins, but lead us not into temptation. Said another way, for a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are be just as concerned about our future sins being avoided as our past sins being forgiven. Just as concerned, just as passionate about our future sins being avoided as our past sins being forgiven. As though Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, this uh, kind of model that we've been looking at, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or perhaps even more literally, the evil one. Now, that immediately raises some questions when we think about the environment in which we live, because we don't typically talk about 
evil or the evil one or the demonic or, or, or anything like that. It just tends not to be part of our, our vocabulary. We talk about oh, the politics and we talk about the money and we talk about all of these other things. But I think C.S. Lewis had it right. C.S. Lewis, when he was, was talking about how we oftentimes uh, approach this, this subject, says we tend toward one of two extremes. Let me give you some of his words in the screw tape letters. Humanity is prone to two extremes when it comes to thinking about demonic forces. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I don't think Christ ever intended it for us to obsess on the reality of evil and the evil one so that everything that goes wrong, we, we blame all the, the demonic, right? But at the same time, if you read the New Testament, if you read the life of Jesus, he understood. He understood we don't operate in a morally neutral environment. We don't operate in a sphere where there is an absence of an enemy, where there is an absence of spiritual forces of darkness. And he tells us in light of that to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, immediately, that creates a little bit of a crisis sometimes as folks are reading that and trying to understand that. I mean, what exactly does that mean? Is that kind of saying that God will sometimes lead us into temptation, and therefore we have to pray that, that he won't? Well, let's make sure we get clarity. Let's let Scripture come in on Scripture. Let's talk about what it does not mean and then try to understand what it does mean. What it does not mean when Jesus teaches us to pray in this way, it does not mean that God will ever, ever entice us toward evil. I mean, that is something that, that he would not be capable of doing. James, who speaks to this, puts it well. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. There is nothing in God that would tempt us toward evil. Now you say, wait, 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 Jeff, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've read, I've read my Bible. <laughs> and doesn't it say, in fact, it's two chapters before Matthew 6, doesn't it say that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? I mean, what's up with that? Well, let's make an important distinction here, all right? God may test, but he never tempts to evil. 
A test is for our growth. A test is for our our proving. A test is for refining. But temptation is toward evil. Will God test? Does God in his sovereignty allow things to come into our life that become a testing ground for us? Absolutely. And a test is an opportunity even to prove our faith in Christ or perhaps to succumb to the, the temptation of the devil. God may test, but he never tempts to evil. Let's go back to James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Just a little Greek background. The word trials and the word temptations come from the same Greek root word. Trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So Jesus teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation. You may want to underline into, into temptation temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. If you go to the end of Matthew's gospel, as Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, he has that inner circle, uh, that small group of the disciples who are with him, and he tells them to watch and pray. Why? That you may not enter into temptation. You may want to highlight enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, the language there, I think, tells us something. Enter into temptation or lead us not into temptation is to entertain or consider giving into temptation. It is not a prayer saying, God, never let us be tempted. Because living in the world we live in, swimming in the waters that we swim in, living in an environment that is not morally neutral, there is no way that we will ever be able to totally escape temptation. That's not the prayer. The prayer is recognizing the environment that we live in, recognizing uh, the world, recognizing that there is an evil one who is at work, recognizing that I still live in a not yet fully redeemed body. There is this sin principle, this flesh that works within me, recognizing all of that. I'm praying, God, in the face of that reality, help me to not entertain, help me not to give into temptation. And the New Testament gives us a promise, a promise that we carry with us even as we pray that. And the promise is simply this, no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I know we all think we're unique. Our situation is distinct and different. Nobody's had this unique set of circumstances that have applied this unique set of pressure to us. Every one of us experiences things that are common to man. But God is faithful. Even in the environment in which we live, in the waters in which we swim, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation... He will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. For a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things I cannot say is the devil made me do it. 
One of the things I cannot say is that temptation was just so overwhelming. The circumstances were so difficult. I had no other option. I had no other choice but to give in. No. I have the promise of God and I have the privilege of prayer to cry out, Lord, in this environment in which I live, in these waters in which I swim every single day, help me by your enabling grace not to entertain, not to give into temptation. Now there's some implications of this petition. And I think they're evident, but sometimes it helps just to let's talk about the waters that we swim in. The first implication is this, the reality of spiritual warfare. The reality of spiritual warfare. We do not live in a morally neutral environment. And therefore, we are aware that there are spiritual realities at work. Peter, who knew what it is to stumble, who knew what it is uh, to give in to temptation, but who knew the pathway to victory as well, said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary You do not live in a morally neutral environment. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Just be aware of that. Be aware. Yes, there is an evil one. Yes, there are demonic forces at work. Yes, there is a world system in play with things that have just become a part of the waters that we swim in. Yes, there is that flesh within me at work. Be aware of that. Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That tends to be where our focus goes first. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We don't perhaps want to talk about that in what we consider our modern times, but this reality hasn't changed. And we come back and we say, God, help me to understand the waters I swim in. Help me to understand the reality of spiritual warfare. But not only that, but a second implication is a recognition of our own weakness, or if you prefer, our our vulnerability, that every one of us is vulnerable. Right before that promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a warning. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christ follower. Doesn't matter that you had your quiet time. Doesn't matter that you teach. Doesn't matter that you hold official positions. Doesn't matter if you're a pastor. And we've seen pastors stumbling right and left here in recent days. Let anyone not be so arrogant, so foolish so unaware of the waters that they swim in that they don't think that they can fall. So Jesus says, watch and pray. You may not enter into temptation, but look at the back half of that. We didn't emphasize this earlier. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, this unyet fully redeemed part of me, 
is weak. And that's true for every single one of us. And that's why prayer becomes so important. John Piper put it this way. He said that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare, not a domestic intercom for the comforts of the saints. Yes, give us this day our daily bread is part of that model prayer, but it's not the entirety of the model prayer. Prayer is not just an intercom to say, hey, could you send up some snacks, right? But it is this wartime walkie-talkie for those who recognize they're engaged in a spiritual battle and they personally are vulnerable which leads us to the third implication, and that is our reliance on God's strength, that every one of us is called to rely on a strength greater than our own. And what a wonderful promise. John put it this way. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That if you are in Jesus Christ, you are this new creation. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is a spiritual battle. Yes, there is an evil one. But never, ever forget that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Charles Spurgeon told a story coming from the days of the, the English Reformation. It was during the persecution of Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, where followers of Christ were being killed for their faith in Christ. And Spurgeon tells of, of one incident where there were two men who had been condemned to be burned at the stake. A horrific way to die. And as they awaited the, the carrying out of this sentence, they were in the same prison area, and one of them felt quite confident in his faith, in, in his stand for the gospel, and he, 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 he was sure uh, that, that there would be no flinching on his behalf when that moment came. The other follower of Christ was fearful. He loved God. He loved Christ with his being. But he recognized he was just afraid of the fire. And he just cried out. And he said, God, I'm so afraid that when those flames come, that in that pain, that I might deny my Lord. And so he cried out repeatedly in prayer. He asked others, would you pray for me? Would you pray that when that moment comes, I will not deny my Lord. The day of the execution came. And as the men were marched out to be attached to the stake, and the flames lit around them. Upon the side of the fire, the one who had been so bold and so confident 
quickly recanted of his faith and lived the rest of his days, according to Spurgeon, as an apostate. The one who was trembling in the cell, crying out in his weakness, went into the flames and never denied his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a recognition of our vulnerability and the greatness of the provision of our God that drives us to a reliance on God's strength. See, what this petition does is it humbles us, but I hope also encourages us. It humbles us to realize I am vulnerable. No matter how mature I am, no matter how gifted I am, no matter how many years I've walked with Christ, I remain vulnerable in this environment, in this flesh. But my God has promised that I will not be tempted beyond that which is common to man. And that he will meet me in every temptation and provide a way through it, a way of escape. And that I do not battle alone, although it is a battle, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But let me talk about putting feet to those prayers. Because yes, we cry out in prayer, but there are some practical things that you and I can do, engage in, that help us to actually answer, be part of the answer to that prayer. And I'm just gonna give you five Fs real quickly this morning. The first one is to follow, and that's the foundational one. If, I, if I'm really going to, to stand firm in the environment in, the, in which I swim, I have to follow Christ. Again, we just lean on James because he was so practical in his letter in this area. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's where it begins. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit first. Resist follows. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It begins to be alive in my life as I follow as I submit to him. And that's not just a one-time thing, that's a daily thing, that's a moment-by-moment thing. As I draw near to him, I have the capacity to resist the devil. Can I just remind you, we come to the word of God, not just for a thought for the day, not just to study the Bible so we'll be a little more knowledgeable. We cry out in prayer, not just to check off a religious duty, but those become avenues of drawing near to God. In fact, it's one of the things that I've, I've been doing in, in recent months is in the morning, having a time with the Lord, and I open up my notebook, and I put a date at the top, this date, February 16th, uh, and very often... I'll write just right underneath that. I don't do it every day, but several days a week, I'll write this under the date. Lord, I come now to draw near to you. And it's just for me, I just started doing that because I want to remind myself why I'm showing up here this morning. It's not just to check off a box. It's not just to say, I did my quiet time. It's not just so I could tell you, right? Now, 
It's to draw near to him. I follow a, a, a Bible reading schedule, but I don't do it so I can get through that assignment in a week or a year or whatever. I want to draw near to him. That's where it begins. It begins not with, with, with spiritual warfare or do, resisting the devil. No, it begins as I draw near to him. And every day, and times throughout the day, I choose to submit myself to God. Follow. The second F is to fight. To fight. This is a spiritual battle. Don't cruise control this thing. Don't just kind of meander through life. Understand that as long as we swim in these waters, we are called to fight, to fight the current, to, to fight those things that come at us, to fight the environment in which we live in, to fight against that. Paul, encouraging Timothy, said, fight the good fight of the faith. I mean, that doesn't sound like a like leisurely Sunday school picnic, right? I mean, fight, battle, engage, understand what's happening here, right? Hey, countries get taken over when they don't realize they're in a fight. They're in a battle. That this, you're trying to appease and somebody else is trying to invade. Fight, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Coming to faith in Christ is not the end, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of fight, the good fight of faith. So having this mentality that is not everything is a battle, I don't fight everybody and everything, but I understand I am engaged as a follower of Christ in a spiritual battle. I fight. I fight against temptation. I fight against the influence of evil in my life and in my world. And sometimes fight looks like flee. It looks like flee. It looks like get away from that situation. Make a strategic withdrawal. Paul said to the Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. Get out of there. Practically, sometimes that looks like unfriend them. Don't get in this environment with them. Don't have that conversation with them. Transfer to another department. Travel in a different friendship circle. An awareness of my own vulnerability. Sometimes I gotta flee. I flee. Sometimes it's about abstaining. Peter said, I, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this is not your home. Your citizenship, Paul said, is in heaven, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Hear me, I'm not talking about being a prude. I'm talking about being prudent. Just because the show is popular 
And everybody's talking about it. And it came free with a three-month trial. Doesn't mean I need to be watching it. Doesn't mean I need to be feeding those images through my eyes. Just because the artist is well-known doesn't mean I need to listen to that music. Because I understand I'm in a battle. And sometimes, sometimes, the better part of valor is to step away, is to flee, to not put up and put myself in those environments. Fourth F, feed. Some things I flee, but some things I intentionally feed. I am continually getting fed things from the environment in which I swim, the waters in which I navigate. But I have to make a purposeful choice to feed my mind something different. And the greatest thing I can feed it is certainly the Word of God. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. Verse 11, perhaps one of the more well-known verses. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What I understand is I swim in these waters and this current is going to take me in a certain direction. And in order for me to swim differently, in order for me to live distinctly, in order for me to live to the glory of God, in order for me to experience God's best, I've got to intentionally feed my mind. I have to intentionally come before God's word and read it and study it and memorize it and meditate upon it and speak it and share it people speak it into my life I have to feed on the word of God Paul called it the sword of the spirit it's part of that battle armor the sword of the spirit which is the word of God take it up and then the last F is friends friends Part of the resource that God's given us in answer to this prayer are our friends, are those who come alongside us and we, we link arms in this warfare, in this battle, in this fight. To the Thessalonians, Paul said, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. Can I just ask you this morning? Is there anybody in your life who has permission to admonish you? Who is encouraging you? Is there anybody that knows you well enough to help in your weakness, that loves you enough to be patient with you? That's not gonna be hundreds of people. But are there a few? Are there a few? Flip that around. Is there anybody that you're pouring into their life? You're admonishing. You're encouraging. You're helping. You're coming alongside them in patience. To the Galatians, Paul said, brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, because we don't live in a morally neutral environment. 
you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hey, whose burden are you helping to bear? Who's helping to bear your burden? If you stumble, is there anybody close enough that they would know it, they would care about it, and they would help restore? Not in a judgmental, harsh, legalistic way, but in a spirit of gentleness, recognizing your common vulnerability. Erwin Lutzer put it this way, temptation is not a sin. And by the way, the enemy will whisper that to you. How could you even be tempted by that? How could you even begin to think about that? You might as well go ahead and do it now that you've thought about it, right? Temptation is not a sin. It's a call to battle. Because we swim in waters where we are going to continually confront temptation. The prayer was not, never let me be tempted. Don't let me entertain it. Don't let me give in to it. Enable me, empower me to fight against it. When Jesus prayed that great high priestly prayer for you and I, part of that prayer to the Father on our behalf was, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Now listen, there are days that that maybe at different seasons of your life you would say, hey, beam me up, Scotty, right? I mean, yes, I'm just tired. I'm tired of this world. I do not pray. Do not ask that you take them out of this world, for they are here for a purpose. But he does pray. Father, would you keep them from the evil one? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the evil one. So as we kind of put these pieces of this model prayer together, I want to leave you with an admonition and maybe a challenge. The admonition is from Samuel Chadwick. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, from prayerless work, from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. Prayer brings fire, it brings rain, it brings life, it brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. And yet, everything in our environment 
even our religious church environment at times will take us away from prayer. It is humbling at times to realize, just keep a time log of how you actually spend your time. It is amazing the things that we find time for, right? And not necessarily even bad things. But it is in today's world quite easy to spend a significant chunk of time just scrolling social media. We now have the phenomena of binge watching, right? We somehow managed to find the latest series that somebody told us about and recommended and we could we go and we got smart TVs. They're smarter than we are sometimes. And we'll watch episode after episode after episode. Those of us who are sports fans find time to watch a game or go to a game, right? And if it goes into overtime, it's a really good game. And some can tell you what the latest political news is. This, that, or the other. And I'm not saying any of those is wrong in and of themselves. I'm just saying, whoever said it first years ago, if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Knew exactly what he was talking about. Where in the midst of my busyness will I find time for prevailing prayer? And so it would seem quite hypocritical to talk about that without at least giving a few moments to practice that. And so this is what I'm going to ask you to do, and I know perhaps for some of us in the room this will be a little bit of a stretch, but I'm just going to ask you to be flexible for just five minutes, all right? I'm going to ask our, our instrumentalists to come, and in just a moment they're going, to, they're going to begin to play, but as they do, if you'd find that praying the Lord's Prayer outline... It's just a very simple tool. It just takes the petitions we've been studying and kind of has some bullet points of suggested ways to actually put that into practice. And you don't, please hear me, this is not like the Ten Commandments here. You don't have to hit every bullet point, okay? But what we just want to invite you to do, because too often we're too busy even in our services (laughs) to do this, as we want you to pray. And I'm just going to invite you into five minutes. And you don't have to cover the whole thing in five minutes. You just let God's Spirit kind of take you through this. You may just even want to just start and say, God, I want to draw near to you. Would you teach me how to pray even for five minutes? If you want to do that silently to yourself, that's awesome. If you want to take a hand of somebody, y'all want to pray together or something, that's cool.
This is just kind of permission. Permission. You don't worry about watching the clock. We'll watch it for you. But I just want to invite you to five uninterrupted minutes to draw near to him through the model prayer that he gave us in response to the request, Lord, teach us how to pray. So with that in mind, would you take the next five minutes and just be still? Talk to and listen to your Father. Let's pray. How we thank you for the gift of a few moments before the throne. Father, we end this teaching series where we began, in Jesus' name. We offer you our lives. We offer you our our worship. We offer you our prayers in Jesus' name, claiming and clinging to his merit more than our own, seeking your purposes, your will more than our own, and loving, cherishing your glory more than our own. Father, Teach us how to pray. We ask humbly and yet with great expectation as we come before you. In Jesus' name, amen.